I haven't arrived. I'm not super successful. I'm just real. Yeah. Welcome to the Beautiful Project Podcast. What's it going to take for you, like you said, to see me? How? I don't understand. A place for ordinary women sharing extraordinary truths. I am fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I'm so much, you know, I'm learning to tell myself that I am so much more. Let my hair grow out. I can wear the clothes I want to wear. I can eat what I want to eat. Who are waiting for you to be their witness. If I can do anything... I want to be able to inspire people to just be their best. Welcome back to the Beautiful Project podcast. I'm Sarah Stevens, founder of the Beautiful Project and host for this podcast. I am really sincerely overjoyed to bring you today's episode. I'm sitting down with my longtime friend, Delia. And if you're a longtime listener to the podcast, then you may remember her from season one where she dropped just a fuck ton of wisdom about <laughs> resilience and um, and the role of failure and what her experience was like in her body. We just covered a million different topics. So if you haven't heard that episode, drop back to season one, the Delia interview. But Delia and I go back a long time. And throughout this year, we've had this experience of exchanging text messages just randomly as the world caught on fire and continued to burn. (laughs) And so about a month ago, as I started to really get serious about relaunching the podcast, the first person I thought I wanted to sit down with to hold space for her story is Delia. So welcome back, Delia. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So we're just going to open up. I want you to tell us the story that you want to tell us. So start wherever you want. First of all, Everyone should have an opening like that to their day. You know, like, you should record these intros. And then when you're having a Manic Monday, any person randomly should be able to press play on that. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, for real. Like, where they can just get to the bank of positive, I'm going to intro you real fast. Yes. And you're a badass. Yes. I think we all need that in our lives. You know, on the way here, I was listening to a mix of... I don't even know the people, Kirk Franklin, um, all, the, all these different types of music. And, and I find myself this year dialing back in mm-hmm. to inspiration because I'm also recently obsessed with CNN. Hmm. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> it's not a thing. Just drop out of that. My husband now calls me my father-in-law's name oh, <laughs> because wow. he's dialed into the news. Okay. And now I've become this grumpy old man. And I think it's just because I'm, I'm at this point where I've just had it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we've all just had it. When I was preparing for this, actually over the last few months, I'd, I've always been just collecting my thoughts. And, you know, I randomly will text you or I'll randomly post something on social media. By the way, I use my social media. I leverage it as a tool, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't set things on fire on Facebook. Tell me why you don't. I have a reason why I don't, but I'm just curious because you and I are both passionate, fiery people. Yeah. So I'm curious about why you choose not, the way you choose to leverage the tool of social media. Because I'm a professional and I'm a person and I believe social media is a tool that everyone should use to, um, Be an outlet for who they are, what their voice is, and what their value system is. Because people who are looking to align with others are looking at social media, professionally, personally, um, emotionally. 
And while I have many bad days a week, many bad moments a week, I don't think it's fair to set the world on fire on social media because of a snapshot in time of how I felt. Mm, that's wise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you can't take it back. Yep. Once and it's there, it's there. And my opinion isn't always correct. Mm -hmm. My opinion is mine. Mm -hmm. Yet I do value opinions and I have a lot of them. And I'm okay with that. But recently I have been posting thoughts. If you know me, you know where I'm coming from in the thought. But if you don't really know me, you know, you can see how general it is, right? Mm -hmm. And I just let the conversation unfold. <clears throat> but I also believe that we are humans and we should be good people mm -hmm. at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we, ha we just have to be good. And so when I was preparing over the past couple months of, of kind of collecting my thoughts and feelings around the things that have happened and unfolded since January 1st, it took me a minute. It took me a minute. And last night, I think I texted you and said, I'm searching for a word. Yep. And it took me hours to find it. And I was in the shower, which I, where I do my best thinking. Mm -hmm. The water bill is ridiculous. <laughs> my husband pays that, so it's fine. fine. It's totally fine. That's a whole other episode of keeping your money separate. Follow me for baller on a budget tips. <laughs> um. <laughs> Just so everyone's aware, we, we will have 27 episodes in this one episode. Or like 100%. off ramps for later. Uh, personalities galore. Yeah. Okay, so I'm in the shower last night and I'm trying to find this word. And I finally land on one of the four agreements. Mm. Which is be impeccable with your word. Mm. I love that. And yeah. if I think about the trash, the fire, the good, the ugly, the, the bad, the painful, the viruses, the riots, the looting, the struggle, the moments, if we had all been impeccable with our word, what would it have looked like in 2020? You know, my journey of emotion of discovering what I thought I knew versus what I know now started with that nine minutes with George Floyd on the ground. And I will get emotional because, you know, I cry at airports when other people are leaving. It was one of those moments that I, I full disclosure, I still have not watched the video. I don't know that I ever will. Do you want to? No. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to watch. I don't need to see it. Lynched. I don't need to see that. I I, I know what happened. Right. Right. Yeah. I've had many a conversation around it, and it's a difficult conversation to have because I I I wake up passionate and on fire about it, and I have people who are in law enforcement in my universe, and it's not to slight them or to trivialize or minimize the hard work that they go through and that they do because I, for one, could not do it. Yet there's a moment that our world shifted and all of my relationships shifted with it. And for those of you who are my friends, close friends, who may or may not be listening to this at this moment, I want to be clear when I say I'm not questioning your alliance to me. I'm questioning 
the full alliance of a people together. I'm questioning, do you know what you thought you knew? Do I know what I thought I knew? And the answer to my question is no. What did you, what, tell me what you thought you knew. Can you tell me more about what you thought you knew that you woke up to and went, oh, I didn't have that right at all. I thought that I lived a life where people saw me. And they don't because I didn't even see myself. And I say people saw me as a black woman. I didn't see myself as a black woman. I thought I did, but I didn't. It brings me back to the moment we talked about last time, the moment I realized I was black, when my mom, when I filled out the 4-H yeah. application and I <laughs> checked like, box white, and yeah. she was like, oh, honey. We need to talk. We need to have a conversation. Yeah. And I went to my room, and I remember looking I had these wooden Smurf statues on my dresser, and I remember looking at that old 70s fake wood dresser mirror, yeah. and I had these big, fat pigtails, and my nose was wide, and my eyes were dark, and my, my hair was textured, and I didn't look anything like my blonde-haired, blue-eyed mother. And at that moment this year, when I started to question what I thought I knew... I thought I was a black woman as the darkest woman in the room all the time. What I realized was that I had done such a great job assimilating that people forgot. Right. Wow. People don't look at me as a black woman. Right. The people that know me. The people that don't know me, I am a black woman in their store. And so when I'm with my friends, and I have one that affectionate call, affectionately calls me the bougie Bettendorf mom, <laughs> and I embrace it because I am all things bougie. Yeah, as you were. And sometimes yes. I'm a little bougetto. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what it did for me. I started to hear things differently. The, the sounds were different. The voices were different. The words were different. And I started to realize some days I see myself as a black woman when I'm in an unfamiliar space. But if you and I are together and you don't see me as a black woman, you are looking at me and laughing at me affectionately and asking me, you're not, you're saying to me, you're not black. Mm. Oh, I am. Yeah. And so that really shifted for me. It really, really shifted for me. And so when I started to really personalize what was happening, I built a wall around myself this year. Do you think you dealt with the vulnerability of that? So prior to that, you would have dealt with the vulnerability of identifying as a black woman by assimilating. Yeah. But it sounds like then when the you could not escape the very clear imagery that that told you something about blackness yes that you had to go okay that's not going to work assimilating over here isn't going to work because they're literally kneeling on his neck right because had I been standing in Minneapolis on that day it was what's interesting is someone actually a white man and I were having a conversation and I say that very purposefully we were having a conversation about it, and our views could not be any more different. And it's very obvious. And 
he's okay with that and I'm okay with that. And we got a little heated and it's fine. It really is okay because I believe in conversation. But he said something like, well, why didn't anyone step in and stop it? The fire inside of me roared. I literally yelled back the answer because if anyone would have stepped in, they would have been committing suicide. Right. You are asking someone to not only watch a man die, but to also look at the people next to them and say, I'm going to go die too. Right. Because that's what would have happened. Right. And so if I was a white, excuse me, if I was a black woman in Minneapolis on that day, I know myself enough to know I would have wanted to step in because you know that's who I am and I've done that before. Right. Yet the guilt of not stepping in, I don't know that I could handle that, which is why I can't watch the video. The guilt of not being able to do something. Right. And, and so when I started to identify with this shifted worldview, by the way, it's... I say shifted. The world hasn't changed in the past 150 years, right? We've just just, gotten more naked, I think. We've just gotten better about hiding it. Right, 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 yeah. You know, I think as a collection, we all as a people thought, oh, we have a black president. We're good. We're not good. We never were good. I actually think that just provided cover. A hundred percent. Especially white people didn't have to look at it. I mean, honestly, like if we could go, we white people could then fall back and go, but we, but we voted him in. We have a, we have a black president. It's literally the equal to you saying, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Precisely. Yes. Precisely. Yeah. I I just, I'm 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 trying to keep it together. (laughs) You don't have to on my, I told you that a few text messages ago. You sent me one, something about rage and trying to control it. And I was like, you do not have to do that for my benefit. So, you, you know, you it's know. like, so I go back to this agreement. Had we all been impeccable with our word, what would it have looked like? If the officer would have been impeccable with his word when he took his oath, when the bystanders were ethical or were impeccable with their word, what would have that have looked like? If our leadership of our country had been impeccable with his word, what would that have looked like? If the disagreements in people demonstrating and those who were there to protect under a cover of riot gear and tear gas, had they been impeccable with their word, would they have had to take the first step? You see, we all have this responsibility to be good humans. And you don't have to like what I do or who I am, and I don't have to like what you do or who you are. I think Trevor Noah said it best right after most of the rioting in Minneapolis was that we have a social contract. We have these unwritten rules. It's like the unwritten rules of the, of the class system in society. The wealthy act the way the wealthy do because of the way it's ingrained in them. And we will never understand and we will never be invited to the party. Right. And the very low income, the the people living in poverty, 
they make decisions that you and I in middle class will never understand. Because of a different set of rules. There's a different unwritten set of rules that everyone lives by. And to be quite fair, you probably can't even put your finger on the things that we, the codes that we live by. Oh no, it's like, uh, I think Ibram Kendi said one of the things that I love the most. He was talking about racism, but he said doing anti-racist work is like handing a person an umbrella and they don't even know that it's raining. Correct. And that's exactly it. We don't even know that we're wet. So, Correct. so the fact that I don't think I need an umbrella, well, I, I'm not aware that there's rain. Right. I mean, like, you know, when I was working in fundraising and, and we had an opportunity to learn so many things, I learned a lot about people who live in a different class system than I do. And I, I live in the middle class, sometimes upper middle class, depending on the paycheck. Amen. And- <laughs> Talk to me six months ago or six months from now. It's wavering all the time. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so you think about, like, I stand in my judgment sometimes when I see someone at a bus stop with the iPhone 12 wearing Jordans and name brand clothing that is a decision in a class system I know nothing about, but I stand there in judgment. Right, because you're trying to you're trying to make the determination from your rule set. Correct, which says that's not how you spend your money. Correct, mm-hmm. which is why you see check cashing places all over low income neighborhoods because right. and you don't see banks. Right, you know it's all these unwritten rules in society that we live by, and what happened in. Um, Minneapolis with George Floyd was that we all saw the social contract get ripped up and it was a bunch of unwritten rules that we were all living by without acknowledging it and then someone had the audacity to break the rules publicly it's like the woman in Central Park who was walking her dog and she called the police on the man because he was standing there right bird watching He had the audacity to be black in a park. And so she weaponized his blackness. She literally tore up the social contract in front of him and weaponized it while she did a Broadway performance with 911. Yes, she did. And so all of these things started happening earlier this year, and it made me question, where do I stand? What do I mean? Do the people around me align with me? Would they protect me? Yes, they will. Yes, they do. And I had to come to the conclusion that they don't understand. And I have to be okay with that. Is that super lonely? Oh, my God. You don't even know. Because remember, I told you I assimilate. Right. So when I assimilate, I'm going to go real personal here. It's painful sometimes to acknowledge I don't fit. I personally, as Delia, don't fit. I'm not white. I'm not black enough. I'm just me. I live in a beautiful home, and I have beautiful children, and I make a good living. I went to private schools. I have a privileged life. I grew up with white privilege, but I'm not white. But I identify with it. I get it. I have my own biases. Does that feel then like a betrayal? I, and I'm asking because I, I don't know I'm white. Right. <laughs> um, is there a sense, is part of the conflict then 
a feeling of betrayal about blackness? You know, it really is because um, the other the other statement I want to say about 2020, beyond being impeccable with your word, is you need to stay woke. <laughs> <laughs> And once you are woke, you cannot unsee it. Oh, God, I know. Right. You know, yeah. and so I try really hard to stay woke about my own personal biases, my own struggles. You know what's interesting is um, I love to watch TV. Well, CNN, but what else? I mean, everything. <laughs> I watch a good mix of everything. Um, let me tell you about some things I'm watching to make my point. I love the show All Rise on CBS. Black judge, woman, she's beautiful, she's very dark-skinned, natural hair, she's just gorgeous. Incredibly intelligent character. She's the lead of the show. It came back a, two, a week or two ago, and, and they've been focused on the writing, and she got arrested just for helping someone, and her white best friend says, what did you do as his immediate reaction? Not why, not to the officer, why is this judge right. in cuffs? Okay, so that happens. I watch SWAT because who doesn't love Shamar Moore? I mean, the man could open an envelope and I would be there. Sorry, Ryan. So he, I watch SWAT. <laughs> Their first few episodes are a throwback to the Rodney King riots, the story behind that, and then, of course, coronavirus, and, and then some things that are happening just in the entertainment of the show. In one of the episodes, I believe it's episode two, so if you, if you check this out, I want you to fast forward all the way to the end. Okay. I believe it's episode two this season, and they're walking to commemorate the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles, and there's a woman on the side of the street with the bullhorn, and she's reciting every word that George Floyd said as he was dying. I, Kim Kardashian, cried. Ugly face, snot, whole bit, couldn't breathe, cried. I want you to watch it okay. because it's powerful. Yeah, I will. And then I watched The Real Housewives. I have never seen a more asleep group of women in my life. In my life. It's so bad this season. I'm watching OC, by the way. I don't know if it's bad because they're assholes. I don't know if it's bad because I'm more woke. So I was going to ask, do you think it's different or you're different? I think I'm different. Right. It's not entertaining. It is gross. Right. And the reason why it's gross is because there's a, there's a girl on the show who realizes, admits she's an alcoholic, and she's going through the first... 60 days of sobriety and they're all joking about bringing tequila to her parties and you know, all these things that I'm like, Ugh. if they have been impeccable with their word in friendship, yeah. it doesn't matter if they are alcoholics or not. Right. When you have someone that you like, know, and trust in your circle and you are open enough to say, I have this problem and your friends, friends, quotes, castmates, whatever they are, if they can be so gross like that, then you don't need those people. You need to walk a different path. So I'm saying all that to say this. The thing about the cocoa, as we call it at my house, <laughs> <laughs> 
The thing about the cocoa is the world is forever changed and I am forever changed because of all the things that have happened. And you take George Floyd and you take um, coronavirus and you take all these things that are happening and you begin to question, who am I? Yeah. Yeah. We right. are being gaslit every day, multiple times a day. I'm not trying to get political here. I'm just saying to you, if I texted you 30 times a day, lies, eventually you will start to question yourself. Yep. That's, that's the point. That's the reason to do it, to we, text somebody 30 times, to, to lie to somebody 30 times. We are so backwards right now mm-hmm. as a people, as a society. As a collective. As right? a collective. Yeah. Right? Like the things that are supposed to matter don't. I watched CNN last night. I know, I know, I gotta stop. Cable news, man. I can't. I legit get on the TV and just let it play in the background. I'm gaslighting myself. I just realized it. <laughs> you really are. Don Lemon is so cute, though. <laughs> well, you gotta have priorities. Gaslighting, Don Lemon. I mean. Do you remember in Miss Green's classroom when we would be in homeroom? <laughs> And Channel One was on, and Anderson Cooper, Cooper. was. T- Whenever oh I hear Anderson Cooper, I feel like you and I are back in the tenth grade. Anderson Cooper. Oh, he was on Channel One. So I have to Lisa Ling. Lisa Ling. She was my favorite. I have I mean, to watch him now because every time I listen to it, I feel like I'm back at Allman High School, <laughs> trying to run from Miss Gal. We do go back that far. Your audience, we go back far, much further than that. <laughs> much actually, further, actually. You know, so I'm gaslighting myself, and, and I'm I'm really just trying to recalibrate. Yep, is where I'm at. I'm really trying to recalibrate. And so, what I want to say about being impeccable with your word, whether it's your marriage vows, your friendship contract. Thank you, Cynthia Bailey from the, the Real Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> Y'all know I love a good TV show. Whatever your word is, your, your employees, your volunteers, your friends, your coworkers, your network, if we're all impeccable with our word, what does that do for us? And that's kind of where I'm at. I think it changes everything. I talk a lot, so I love words. I write. That's mm-hmm. actually the, that's the thing that wakes me up in the morning. And the reason I love them so much is because our words literally make things real. Yes. The things we speak out loud, and I'm not talking about manifesting, although that is, that's a different episode altogether. I'm talking about when I tell myself any story often enough, it becomes my truth. Yes. Always. Yes. And that circles back to if we are impeccable with that truth, then how does it change? How does it change the story collectively? But it changes us one person at a time, which is the, that's the trick. Like It is. And it's the thing that I can get caught in because... I feel an enormous amount of responsibility as a white woman mm-hmm. for racism, for the collective impact of racism. Yeah. And I also simultaneously, I mean, I understand the responsibility I have to have difficult conversations with other white people. Fine. Mm-hmm. That's done. I mean, it's not done. I'm doing. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. That never feels like enough when it just, ne- and it never, and the reason it doesn't never feels like enough is because it's actually not. Yeah. And I just have to be okay with the fact that it's not. It yeah. is what I have to offer, though. Being okay with something is a really tricky story we tell ourselves, too. Mm-hmm. Because I, I am strong enough to admit that I sometimes have a savior complex. Mm-hmm. 
name often. <laughs> I'm like, does that mean fixing? I've got a really great solution, and here it is. Here it um, is. Move over because yes. I've got I'm it, do and it. Yeah. you don't need to be here anymore. Correct. Right. Like that is my whole life, and I'm I'm a work in progress. I stay a work in progress. The other thing I want to say is, um, you you hit the nail on the head there when you said, "I have an enormous responsibility." I personally feel like I carry the weight of every black person in Bettendorf. That is a little bit ridiculous, I understand. (laughs) And, And I mean it to be a little bit ridiculous as well. But I do feel this sense of responsibility. And, and I don't know if it's because it's what I put on myself or um, because I feel this connection to people. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an empath, so I feel energy. I feel um, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and I can usually figure it out before you say it. And um, by the way, I'm, I'm not weird, witchy, but they do exist. And animals talk to each other like a Disney movie. It's totally <laughs> fine. And I am a little witchy, so we're fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I feel this enormous responsibility because, like I've said before, I typically am the darkest girl in the room. And so I feel like I'm either got to be the sassy Medea version Mm -hmm. of black people or I need to be really, really educated and speak with such eloquence that I could sit with Michelle Obama, which is a goal of mine. It'll never happen because I'll probably get put in jail. But... You know, stalking is a thing. It is. And I don't think that they really like that. Anyway, I also think that, like, that there's this funny caricature of different races. You know, whether you're Mexican or black or white or Dominican yeah. or Irish, yeah. there's always this caricature that people see of that culture. And I feel a responsibility to be nothing like that. And then I get into the world of microaggressions. And someone said to me, well, what's a microaggression? And I wanted to say every time you talk to me. Right. The fact that you are asking. Girl. Do you know how many times, with love, I think most of the time, people have said to me, you just speak so well. Yeah. In case anybody in the audience is not aware, that is a microaggression. 100%. Because it is, it is, um, presum- it's presuming that a black woman would not speak well. Yeah. And it's also presuming that speaking well means speaking white. I have been told in job interviews how articulate I am. Of course you have. God. <laughs> and it's so bleh. Like, I get it. I get it. Some people say it to me, and I, I'm sure they mean it with every bit of love because they don't realize what they're doing. Intention and impact are two different things. Agreed. Agreed. And I would probably say 60% of the time, right? They're like, you're so articulate. Then you have my husband who is like, the word you just said doesn't exist. I'm like, it actually does. Look it up. <laughs> so, you know, then there's the other side of the coin where they're like, did you literally just make that word up? I'm like, no, actually, it's a word. I'm sorry. Like, you know, it, whatever. It is what it is. I am who I am, and I'm okay with that. And, and I think what this year has taught me the most is while the world is literally on fire, yeah. 
It's a great opportunity to rise from the ashes. Mm. And we all have the comeback story, right? We all have the opportunity. We've all, and if you haven't yet, you will fail and you will tuck and roll because you fail so hard. And then you will get back up. And I think as a country, we are getting back up. We might still be laying on the side with the leg broken, (laughs) but we're getting there. And when we get there collectively, all of a sudden, you and I feel the impetus to do it too. Right. Right. It is contagious. I agree. You know? And so now I can look at myself and go, what I thought I knew the past couple of years, I didn't really know. So now that I know it, what am I going to do with it? And when you go through your seasons of your life with failure, love, friendship, business, the good and the bad that goes with it all, and you fail and you succeed and you rise and you fall and you question your entire being, as long as you stay impeccable with your word, you will be steadfast. And that's what I I think that's where I'm at going into the last month of 2020. And it's what, so the last question I was going to ask you is, what is it that you hope for, like for next, whatever's next? And I don't necessarily mean that about you, but it can be just about you. It could be for the collective. But um, I'm wondering if it's connected. I would assume it probably is connected to this idea of impeccability with our word. But what is it that you hope for next? You know, I really hope that this um, rising from the ashes is not a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. You know, I really hope that there is hope. Mm. You know, I woke up three days after the election (laughs) because the day after the election didn't give me what I wanted. (laughs) Gave nobody. It was the, uh, yeah, the that opposite. Was, that was actually the beginning of the obsession with CNN. Mm, right, because you're, right, you're in. It was my own personal mm-hmm. um, drug. I was just going to say, it's like a dopamine hit. It, it, I couldn't yeah. think of the word dopamine, thank yep. you. That's what it was. So I woke up, you know, three days after the election, and, and girl, I was driving around town with CNN playing on my phone in my car. I'm, I'm a junkie. I'm a junkie. And what I'm a junkie for is hope. And so when the election was called, mm-hmm. if we can call it that, I think we're really close to actually being we're able real to close. put I, the stake I in mean, the ground. I think today. I think today is, is like it. We, yeah, I think right? it's it. Yeah. Um, so I remember my family, my kids and, I, my, and Ryan and I all have a group chat. Even Haley, who doesn't live with us anymore, you know, on her own, really not on her own. Okay, on her own is in the group chat as well. And I texted the group chat and I said, we have a new president with an American flag. And I remember I texted another friend who we also have random conversations. And I said, I feel hope again for the first time in a long time. Now it could be where I'm at personally. It could be where I'm at financially, uh, professionally, Yet if the clouds are lifted for me, they have to be lifted for others. And so what I'm most looking forward to is hope. We have lost a quarter of a million people to COVID-19. 
And as of three weeks ago, one of those people was an old friend of ours. And it's the kind of friendship that we all have where you don't see them every day, you don't talk to them for maybe two years, but you always carry them with you. And they're the kind of friend where if they were to call and say, I need something, I would be there in a heartbeat. And, and, and this is what happened. The friend passed away. We all collectively hadn't seen each other in probably five, six years. And now we are all close. And it was like no time had passed. And I think about what should have happened in our world that 250,000 other people don't have to know what it feels like to have lost someone. And we all joke. I, I joke about the COVID. Like, you have to. It's the only, it's a survival tactic at this point, for you know, sure. Yeah. Yes, I call it the Coco. It's funny. It, we, we got it from a little three-year-old friend, and I, I get it, right? Like, it's not a joke. But it, what else are we going to do? And... I look at the next 12 to 18 months that we have in front of us, and I hope for hope. Thank you. Um, I, too, hope for hope. I am deeply grateful for you sharing yourself with me today in this space and uh, with this audience. I know um, that if they give themselves permission to take that in, that they too will be changed by it the same way that I have been just sitting with you. So thank you, Delia. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it, and I am so impressed by you, my old friend. I'm just trying to wake up and be impeccable <laughs> with my words. And old is right. Old we, is right. Yeah. We are old, girl. But I, I, I appreciate you giving women a space and a platform I appreciate you letting me be here today to share whatever nugget of wisdom or not that I've shared. And I appreciate people being open mm -hmm. and seeing us in a different way. Mm. You know, I yeah. can be sassy and feisty and sad and smart all at the same time. And I, I just appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be a little more serious today. Oh, I, I love inviting all of who we are, right? Yeah. The world is more than it used to be when we are all of us in it. I say that all the time. I read this um, caption today that said, um, can I not just give myself space to be a whole ass thing? Girl, that's a whole word. I know. <laughs> Preach on that. So, oh, that's a good ending. I love it. Thank that's you. where we'll leave it. We will give ourselves permission to be a whole ass thing. I love it. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for being willing to be a witness to these women and to their stories. If you loved today's episode, be sure to subscribe and write a review. And most importantly, invite the women you know to join this chorus of courage and help us make a world where every body belongs. I'll see you all soon.